the violation of physical law. Man came from the hand of his creator, perfect in organization and beautiful in form. The fact that he has for six thousand years withstood the ever-increasing weight of disease and crime is conclusive proof of the power of endurance with which he was first endowed. And although the antediluvians generally gave themselves up to sin without restraint, it was more than two thousand years before the violation of natural law was sensibly felt. Had Adam originally possessed no greater physical power than men now have, the race would ere this have become extinct. Through the successive generations since the fall, the tendency has been continually downward. Disease has been transmitted from parents to children, generation after generation. Even infants in the cradle suffer from afflictions caused by the sins of their parents. The patriarchs from Adam to Noah, with few exceptions, lived nearly a thousand years. Since then, the average length of life has been decreasing. At the time of Christ's first advent, the race had already so degenerated that not only the old, but the middle-aged and the young were brought from every city to the Savior to be healed of their diseases. Many labored under a weight of misery inexpressible. The violation of physical law, with its consequent suffering and premature death, has so long prevailed that these results are regarded as the appointed lot for humanity. But God did not create the race in such a feeble condition. This state of things is not the work of providence, but of man. It has been brought about by wrong habits, by violating the laws that God has made to govern man's existence. A continual transgression of nature's laws is a continual transgression of the law of God. Had men always been obedient to the law of the Ten Commandments, carrying out in their lives the principles of these precepts, the curse of disease now flooding the world would not exist. When men take any course which needlessly expends their vitality or beclouds their intellect, they sin against God. They do not glorify him in their body and spirit, which are his. Yet despite the insult which man has offered him, God's love is still extended to the race, and he permits light to shine, enabling man to see that in order to live a perfect life, he must obey the natural laws which govern his being. How important, then, that man should walk in this light, exercising all his powers, both of body and mind, to the glory of God. God's people to stand in purity. We are in a world that is opposed to righteousness or purity of character, and especially to growth in grace. Wherever we look, 
we see defilement and corruption, deformity and sin. How opposed is all this to the work that must be accomplished in us just previous to receiving the gift of immortality. God's elect must stand untainted amid the corruptions teeming around them in these last days. Their bodies must be made holy, their spirits pure. If this work is to be accomplished, it must be undertaken at once, earnestly and understandingly. The Spirit of God should have perfect control, influencing every action. The health reform is one branch of the great work which is to fit a people for the coming of the Lord. It is as closely connected with the third angel's message as the hand is with the body. The law of Ten Commandments has been lightly regarded by man, yet the Lord will not come to punish the transgressors of that law without first sending them a message of warning. Men and women cannot violate natural law by indulging depraved appetites and lustful passions without violating the law of God. Therefore, he has permitted the light of health reform to shine upon us, that we may realize the sinfulness of breaking the laws which he has established in our very being. Our Heavenly Father sees the deplorable condition of men who, many of them ignorantly, are disregarding the principles of hygiene. And it is in love and pity to the race that He causes the light to shine upon health reform. He publishes His law and its penalties in order that all may learn what is for their highest good. He proclaims His law so distinctly and makes it so prominent that it is like a city set on a hill. All intelligent beings can understand it if they will. None others are responsible. The Folly of Ignorance To make natural law plain and to urge obedience to it is a work that accompanies the third angel's message. Ignorance is no excuse now for the transgression of law. The light shines clearly, and none need be ignorant, for the great God himself is man's instructor. All are bound by the most sacred obligations to heed the sound philosophy and genuine experience which God is now giving them in reference to health reform. He designs that the subject shall be agitated and the public mind deeply stirred to investigate it. For it is impossible for men and women, while under the power of sinful, health-destroying, brain-enervating habits, to appreciate sacred truth. Those who are willing to inform themselves concerning the effect which sinful indulgence has upon the health and who begin the work of reform, even from selfish motives, may in so doing place themselves where the truth of God can reach their hearts. And, on the other hand, those who have been reached by the presentation of Scripture truth are in a position where the conscience may be aroused upon the subject of health. 
They see and feel the necessity of breaking away from the tyrannizing habits and appetites which have ruled them so long. There are many who would receive the truths of God's word, their judgment having been convinced by the clearest evidence. But the carnal desires, clamoring for gratification, control the intellect, and they reject truth because it conflicts with their lustful desires. The minds of many take so low a level that God cannot work either for them or with them. The current of their thoughts must be changed. Their moral sensibilities must be aroused before they can feel the claims of God. The Apostle Paul exhorts the church, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See Romans 12, verse 1. Sinful indulgence defiles the body and unfits men for spiritual worship. He who cherishes the light which God has given him upon health reform has an important aid in the work of becoming sanctified through the truth and fitted for immortality. But if he disregards that light and lives in violation of natural law, he must pay the penalty. His spiritual powers are benumbed. And how can he perfect holiness in the fear of God? Men have polluted the soul temple, and God calls upon them to awake and to strive with all their might to win back their God-given manhood. Nothing but the grace of God can convict and convert the heart. From him alone can the slaves of custom obtain power to break the shackles that bind them. It is impossible for a man to present his body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, while continuing to indulge habits that are depriving him of physical, mental, and moral vigor. Again, the apostle says, Be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See Romans 12, verse 2. As in the days of Noah, Jesus, seated on the Mount of Olives, gave instruction to his disciples concerning the signs which should precede his coming. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. See Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39. The same sins that brought judgments upon the world in the days of Noah exist in our day. Men and women now carry their eating and drinking so far that it ends in gluttony and drunkenness. 
This prevailing sin, the indulgence of perverted appetite, inflamed the passions of men in the days of Noah and led to widespread corruption. Violence and sin reached to heaven. This moral pollution was finally swept from the earth by means of the flood. The same sins of gluttony and drunkenness benumbed the moral sensibilities of the inhabitants of Sodom. So that crime seemed to be the delight of the men and women of that wicked city. Christ thus warns the world. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Read Luke 17, verses 28 to 30. Christ has left us here a most important lesson. He would lay before us the danger of making our eating and drinking paramount. He presents the result of unrestrained indulgence of appetite. The moral powers are enfeebled so that sin does not appear sinful. Crime is lightly regarded, and passion controls the mind until good principles and impulses are rooted out and God is blasphemed. All this is the result of eating and drinking to excess. This is the very condition of things which Christ declares will exist at his second coming. The Savior presents to us something higher to toil for than merely what we shall eat and drink and wherewithal we shall be clothed. Eating, drinking, and dressing are carried to such excess that they become crimes. They are among the marked sins of the last days and constitute a sign of Christ's soon coming. Time, money, strength, which all belong to the Lord, but which he has entrusted to us, are wasted in superfluities of dress and luxuries for the perverted appetite, which lessen vitality and bring suffering and decay. It is impossible to present our bodies a living sacrifice to God when we continually fill them with corruption and disease by our own sinful indulgence. Knowledge must be gained in regard to how to eat and drink and dress so as to preserve health. Sickness is the result of violating nature's law. Our first duty, one which we owe to God, to ourselves, and to our fellow men, is to obey the laws of God. These include the laws of health. 